If you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do read it, you're misinformed. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you do? That's the great question. <laughs> what is the long-term effect of too much information? Welcome to the Wine Jar Cynics Podcast. I am Dio. And I'm Gene. What's today? Today is October 6th, 2020. Yep, and this episode is called Mad Socrates. Let's do a little recap of last episode. What do we talk about? Antisthenes, right? Antisthenes and Socrates. Two buff men. Just super jacked. Two jacked dudes, two beasts. We, that's the true cynic right there. Okay, so we were just talking about how they were pretty much influent. They were pretty much warrior philosophers, actually. I think really that's an interesting part of it that they both served in the military and stuff like that. I think when we have Leo on, he's definitely going to want to um, learn more about them, or maybe he he probably knows that. I think he's into philosophy, right? Uh, I would imagine so. Yeah, he seems like he's pretty um, philosophical, kind of deep. But um, honestly, I was thinking that I think they deserve their own episode. Socrates and Antisthenes, but I'm still trying to do this kind of uh, secession story where you have Socrates, Socrates, Antisthenes, Diogenes, and we go to the Stoics. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just think it's interesting. I'm following. All right, so let's let's start with the epigraph. So the mob is the mother of all tyrants by our boy Diogenes of Sinope. So let's discuss this quote. I've always heard this quote actually. Um, Thrown around in the internet a lot. Specifically on Twitter, actually. You know what it reminds and, me of? And I think this is actually... He actually said this. I think he may have written a book, potentially, based on what the some of the Stoics wrote about him, and that he said this, because he was um, talking about um, rulers. Because, you know, he didn't like rulers. And he would say, um, you guys really aren't rulers, because think about it. These people who rule in Athens and democracies, really, they have to submit to the mob sometimes. That's his idea. That's why he was his criticism of uh, democracy was. Also, Plato had that um, criticism that sometimes it's not, it's not really the whether what is good, it's about what people want. Mm -hmm. Something about that. I don't think we should discuss that just because that's, that's for an, an, another day, right? Where we talk about... Um, uh, it's called Plato's Republic, influenced by Socrates from understood. Socrates also hated um, democracy for that reason, because it's, I think, it, yeah, it's a direct Socrates quote, too. But um, what's your idea on that quote? Just I mean, like, it just reminds me of a lot of things you hear, like democracy, like true, like pure democracy is mob rule, or democracy is... Uh, was it like wolves leading the sheep? Yeah. To slaughter, that kind of idea. Interesting. It's like, yeah, the mob taking over and deciding for everyone else. Like, I don't want to um, invoke modern politics in into this, but at the same time, it's like, I was but thinking. That's, I mean. It's kind of, you kind of have to, right? Because I was thinking about how, not specifically China, just because I was watching an interview where he was, 
<laughs> this Chinese guy was um I don't want to say Chinese guy. He I forgot his title. Um, he was saying that oh, voting is terrible. It's a terrible idea. Oh, I think uh, I know he, he was he, he was called, ta- he called it a cult. Right? Yeah, he called it a cult. Where'd you find that at, by the way? Um, I think it was a, originally I heard it from Joshua Phillips Crossroads. By the way, give my boy Joshua Phillips a, a hand, whoever's watching this, because he makes some interesting stuff, you know? But yeah, I, I forgot his role. I think it was in government. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that I don't want to put the, the his words in my mouth and I'm saying, oh, that democracy is therefore invalid because of this guy's statement. I'm just saying that people have their crit- criticisms, right? But uh, what, is there, where's... Uh, like pure democracy, who runs it? That's I've always asked people this because some people who are in the anarchist community tend to add, um, it's, say this. I mean, U.S. is a representative democracy. It's a representative. I mean, republic, yeah, democratic republic. Um, where, where? I mean, they always push the idea of democracy, but no one actually does like pure democracy. I think for this reason. Well, pure democracy is usually, from what my understanding was, um, you um, write your own laws. That's what a, t- a true direct democracy is. People, the t- citizens write their own laws. Or maybe that's... Is that wrong? Where's the voting happen? You do both. You can still write your own laws, I guess, and Just vote. For yourself? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what the anarchists want to believe. <laughs> I, I don't understand that. I, I don't either. That's why I don't think we should go into that too much, too deeply, because we're not political philosophers. We're just amateur cynics, really. But at the same I mean, time, I, I do think that there's something to say about this quote that makes sense. It has to be a... I thought it was a political quote. Yeah, it's funny because Diogenes was not... He didn't do it at, for, as a political statement. He didn't care for politics. But I think he just, you know, cynics like satire. They like calling it out as they see it, you know? And that's how he saw it. But then again, a lot of philosophers at that time saw that. Saw it as that way. It was Socrates. I mean, they are a criticism of democracy in general. It's always weird to say don't care about politics, but then you comment on it. Yeah, right. That's interesting. Or you don't engage in it, but you, but that's technically engaging in it. You don't like it, so you're just calling it out. Then fair. I'm not sure if he did it. I, I'd have to look into it more. I don't know if he did it because there, sometimes he would. He also was against um the natural philosophies, right? Science. And he would only quote it when it suited his need to like ref- refute a point. Do you get what I mean? Other than that, he wouldn't speak about it. So when it benefited him, he would talk about it. When he was making a point or refuting something or uh, criticizing something. Interesting. Yeah, exactly, huh? Very interesting. He's a weird guy in, in general. But anyway, um, let's talk about the summary of Diogenes. Let's do a summary. By the way, because we there's two Diogenes. Just like in general, when you talk about a historical figure, it, it's just a historical figure at the end of the day, depending how far back it is, there's a literary version of him and then the historical slash factual version of him. You know what I mean? It depends who you ask. Like It suits their needs depending on who you who you ask. Like uh, the modern example is uh, Kim Jong-un. <laughs> King Dong, yeah. <laughs> or Kim Dong Il would have been there. When you talk to a Korean, he just... What it, Leo went to Korea, by the way. He said that they... I don't know. He told me that he went to North Korea and that they told him that Kim Jong-un invented time travel and the burger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that kind of stuff. In that little bubble, 
He is. <laughs> He's got and, this and then, literary version of himself. But then for like the the there's so there is the Stoics and there's the Cynics. They have their own version of him. You get what I'm you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So for the Cynics, I guess they're a little bit more true to Diogenes, right? They they talk about even the stuff that the Stoics didn't want to hear, like how he um he didn't promote, but he defended incest, um, prom- sexual promiscuity, and um, cannibalism and murder. <laughs> I guess it's the same for everyone. So then the, so then the Stoics, they uh, they neatly like redacted all that, or they uh, removed it from the books. Like, yeah, he never said that because they saw him as a saint. You get what I mean? Mm-hmm. To to fit the narrative and connect it to Socrates, the um, the whole story of the Cynics and the Stoics. Get what I mean? So when we talk about a historical figure, it's kind of like there is a version that is solely based on the individual and then certain groups. Like, for example, if we talk about um, Mao Zedong, I mean, especially when I was in Ch- when I was in China, I would always ask the ta- taxi drivers, what do you think of Mao Zedong? For, a lot of them would say, I think one person actually said specifically, oh, he did a lot of bad stuff, but he did it for a good reason, Right. That's how they would um, rationalize it and justify it, right? And then people over here in the U.S., obviously, if you say Mao Zedong, you're like, oh, he's a horrible person, completely unjustifiable what he did. So I, I don't want to go too into this modern political, historical stuff, but at the same time, I, I think it's kind of necessary to bring this up just because there is this kind of version, depending on the person you ask. It's kind of like playing telephone, you know what I mean? Especially since he's two thousand years ago, but um. Anyway, let's talk about the literary version because I think there's something to be said from some of the stories, whether they're true or not. Uh, the the author who I'm quoting from, and that I read the read the the modern or uh, most influential English literature for cynics, D.R. Dudley, he talks about that. It's mostly Ben Travato. You heard about Ben Travato? No, it's uh, I didn't know people used to use this um, phrase, but uh, apparently in Italian it means um, something that's anecdotal but plausible. From what I heard, I thought it was a name. Ben Travato, you know, it's just like for example, you say that the stories are mostly Ben Travato. They're stories, but they can be true, right? So I think there's something to say about some of these stories, even if it's not true. It's just kind of for fun, you know what I mean? Mm. So what was the funniest? I guess we we can talk about. The funniest things he's done from a literary standpoint. What is the funniest stuff he'd, he's done? What have you heard about him, by the way? Based on some of the readings we were... The... Kind of just pooping <laughs> peeing on people. So I looked that up. Apparently he was... He pooped on the bones that people would throw at him. And then somebody called him a dog, right? And then Diogenes... Peed on him, uh, on him. He's like, "Why are you surprised if you call me a dog, right?" Get what I mean? And he didn't punch him in the face after he beat on him. Maybe he did. Who knows? They just don't want to put that yeah, in. Yeah, because it was before hearing all that stuff. It's like you, it, no matter what, you don't just get away with that. I don't care what probably soci- he got what punched. Society you're in. Probably but, got punched. Yeah. Yeah, but why wouldn't they talk about that? I'm not I sure. Guarantee you, you pee on anybody. I don't care who you are. Maybe he well. And if you're if you're a major figure, that's like people know. Okay, that guy is like this. If Alexander the Great came up to him, mm-hmm. he's known. You don't get away with that kind of stuff. 
So it makes more sense that it's a... Uh, yeah, well, he didn't do that to Alexander the Great, though. Yeah, but... But if he had done it, yeah, definitely, he would have gotten I'm, his head I'm, cut off. What I'm saying is, he's well enough known that this dude pees on people. You don't get away with it. I'm not sure how well known he was when he pulled that stunt, actually. I think it might it might have been his first year in Athens. It might have been... I had to look more into that, but that's why you kind of take it with a grain of salt. You know what I mean? Even prior to that, and any any yeah, don't I, pee on someone I, and just get get away. with I was it wondering anything. that too. Why it, there wouldn't be any um, kind of records of him being put in prison or something? If he if there must have been some kind of indecency law, by the way. But maybe he just maybe he was just well people liked him enough. He was well protected. He's like ah, it's just a village idiot. It's like get over it, right? Don't punch him. He's just like, you know what I mean? Maybe it was that scenario. That's because they never wrote it down. There's no. By the way, there's three. Like I said, the main um, people who write about them are the Stoics, the Cynics, and then there's the biographer, Diogenes, no, no relation, Laertius. So there's no record from any of them. So so if that ever happened, maybe it was a one-time thing and it got blown out of proportion. Is it something yeah. he does regularly? Or it could be. It could have been he never actually peed on it. Maybe he just peed on the bone that. near him. Maybe he just peed near him and he just, oh, it got disgusting. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. It never happened or it was a one-time thing and people the, tried to that's why it's important, blow it out of but proportion. But that's why it's important to um, talk about the literary uh, um, standpoint because then you – you start getting to the root of it, then you're like, hmm, probably exaggerated. He probably just peed on the bones. Yeah, I mean, in yeah. the last episode, what was it? Was it the last one or the yeah. one before? Three or two. Three Three was... Um, I forgot. But even if you remember... The one about Antisthenes? I was very cynical of that because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, but yeah, they even talked about it in this book by D.R. Dudley that probably a lot of it was just exaggerated. I mean, when you have 2,000 years worth of history... That's like you're playing telephone essentially with all these historians. I mean, all it these doesn't people. Even, two thousand years doesn't even matter. It could have happened yesterday. Well, I'm I saying, wouldn't have believed it. Well, what I'm saying is that two thousand years ago, whatever happened, it could have been just blown out of proportion because the stories are, are passed down and it gets it gets changed. Yeah, that's the same with even today. Yeah, even exactly. Even so, today, something happens and someone retells it and they exaggerate it to make it seem like it's bigger than it ever was. Well, anyway, we I don't want to get down into like the whether or not it happened, just a funny story or whatever, right? Just because somebody called him that and he peed on them. But also, I mean, Plato probably would have run about it too, but apparently he, he would go to his lectures, eat, and then shit in his in lectures. See, that's the yeah, same thing. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. But I do agree that probably the chicken, the the story of the chicken is true. That would is more reasonable. It's more reasonable that he because I understood that he revised his story on what the what the he was probably embarrassed. He revised his story on the bipedal chicken being a model of man. Because <laughs> you know he said that's what a human is—a featherless bipedal chicken. I mean, no feather. Featherless bipedal creature. Mm-hmm. So then he takes, okay, okay, you fucker, you think you're so smart? I'm gonna take a chicken, and that's a featherless bipedal, bipedal animal. Is that a is that a human? And he could have just used a monkey. But I don't know if there was monkeys in Greece at that time. They didn't know about monkeys. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Maybe there. I don't know anything about the um, the fauna uh, of the Greece two thousand years ago. I don't think they no. They don't. They didn't have gibbons. No, I don't think they had monkeys or anything. Maybe. Yeah, but anyway, um, 
There was another story, by the way, of wh- where he came to Athens and he said he had a slave, right? Because he was exiled from his hometown. And he said, and then his uh, his slave ran away and he said, if Manes can live without Diogenes, then Diogenes can live without Manes. That's another story that's all, also, uh, how do I say it, kind of pushed around too. And the one where he went to Antisthenes, we talked about him in the, the last episode. He, he went up to Antisthenes and he said he really wanted to be his student, right? I think because he probably liked Socrates and stuff like that. He probably read something. He was very famous, obviously. So apparently, according to the stories, Antisthenes was annoyed about, about, of, of him following him and stuff like that. So he had to take a, his staff and beat him. To get him away. And Diogenes said that you have to find a harder wood because nothing will uh, stop me from trying to become your student. I don't do the, st- the stories justice, honestly. That's why I think I'd rather talk to, about the um, historical aspects. So I think... And that, but that's what you said. That's one of the ones that's yeah, that definitely one's, not true. Yeah, definitely not true. Um, definitely not true because I don't think he would have liked Antisthenes actually he probably would have liked some of his teachings but I think Antisthenes was very different than um, than Diogenes his way of life first of all he owned a bed he owned a house okay he was kind of poor he still had enough money definitely uh, he was a student of Georgias right so you have to have money to go to a teacher so he's, he wasn't penniless you know Diogenes could have had a house too just hidden he could have had it. He was a the whole time he had a he like, was getting donations and he had a house. Like one of those you see it today. I heard about that, yeah. <laughs> the people, that they, they make it's all tax free and they end up yeah. making like fifty grand a year. He, <laughs> just like, that would have been the uh the bit the greatest um what is it? Hidden fact ever. That'd be more impressive to me. <laughs> you never know though, really. He just had a house hidden underneath somewhere and he just took all the money yeah. and then I almost believe that. <laughs> Right. Also, um, he, yeah, I don't think he would have agreed with them. He taught. He used to teach. He used to kind of be involved in civil discourse. Like you said, he was kind of political. He had a school. He had all these possess not possessions, but I mean, still, it's not in line of what the radical exhibitionism and freedom that Diogenes kind of wanted to uh, promote. You know what I mean? So that's why I, I really don't think that that is true. And also, um, it's the archaeological evidence. But I think we can talk about that later. I think th- I think everybody knows about uh, the literary Diogenes. That's why most... You know, it's funny enough, PewDiePie um, likes Diogenes. Do you know that? Which version? Literary. I think most people don't even know about the historical version of Diogenes. But the weird thing is that the historical version... It's kind of halfway. So some of the stories could be true. Some of them are plausible. And then half of it is more uh, based on the archaeological evidence of the coins and stuff like that. That's really all they have, actually, about Diogenes. It's it, just trying to tell. You have to, you, like you have to be a cynic. Parabolic. Mm-hmm. Trying to tell these stories through these. Or trying to send or kind of translate these ideas through Stories that you make up about someone. Yeah, that I think people do that all the time. But I think, but the the thing is, is that there's a lot of these stories are are thrown around by a lot of people. So his students, his 
contemporaries. Aristotle wrote on him. Plato wrote, I think, a bit on, on him. Diogenes of Lurius, another biographer. Roman historians, Greek historians. So that's the thing, though. You have all this evidence of different people saying different things about him. So you don't know which one to really believe. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then some of them are very consistent. Some of them are inconsistent. So the Antisthenes ones tends to be very um, thrown around, actually. But that's actually the most easily disprovable. So they just made him into like a cult figure. A cult of personality. Exactly. But I think people do that. I mean, the same with Socrates, though. I think so- but Socrates, he wanted to become a martyr. You know, he took the poison. He could have fled. But he chose to die because I think he know Diogenes was smart. He probably knew he probably was smart enough to know that if he was a radical exhibitionist, then people would they wouldn't probably respect him. But they but funny enough, apparently people liked him. They thought he was kind of the man, the village idiot, not the village idiot, the village philosopher who lived in the wine jar. And he would just kind of the, the, the fun menace. You know what I mean? You know about the fun menace? I used to have, I used to know one, by the way, when I was in South America, I used to go down and down um, this little town, and there was this guy named Loco Juan, and Loco Juan would do a lot of funny, funny shit, he would just kind of like, he was kind of like a Diogenes, I guess, he would just kind of perform and be funny and silly, and then people liked him, he lived on the, he was just a homeless guy, and then now they make memes about him. So there is sort of a power to it. I mean, it's good marketing, I'll tell you that. If you're just on the, on the street, preaching. And also, there's some stories that were true, you know, like the Alexander the Great story that we'll talk about. I'm going to jump into that actually right now. So this word gets kind of like more historical, I guess. I, I, I'm trying to keep it um, short, but uh, we'll see how that works. But anyway, um, I'm going to put my sources this time, actually, because I have a lot of sources. And by the way, this is from D.R. Dudley. Most of the stuff that I'm quoting right now is D.R. Dudley, but if it's not... And by the way, D.R. Dudley was a uh, Cambridge scholar. He wrote that the, uh, very influential book of the cynic, Cynics in 1937. So if you want to get into anything about Cynics or read about cynicism, the more true cynicism, right? The real teachings, the the actual history of Diogenes, and yeah, D.R. Dudley, 1937, Cambridge. And let's start with, um, let's start with the historical account, because I think we talked enough about the, uh, the funny Diogenes. So there's, like I said, there's kind of the stoic and the cynic works. And also there is, um, there's a very influential book, by the way. It's called, um, let me see actually if I have that over here. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's called Successions. So the Successions was, were written by people way after Diogenes had died. And they and they give all these stories about him, you know, with the, looking for bones on the ground and and then pissing on them and pooping in these seminars. They, they're the ones who give all these wild stories. Diogenes Lurius, too. He's controversial, by the way. Most people think, oh, is this guy... He's a little inconsistent. Some people think he's kind of tedious. He kind of talks about things that are irrelevant. I don't know. It depends who you talk to. I think one day we can have someone on and ask about what what they think about his um his uh, books. Because from what I heard, modern scholars tend to be kind of conflicted. Because you only you have only one biographer 
who talks about a bunch of philosophers, and that's all you really have to go on. Because he didn't have any other ones 2,000 years ago. Well, it wasn't even 2,000, I think. He was later saying all these things, right? And that's where the confusion is. Because you can only really confirm all these stories because there was only a few biographers back then, right? So, anyway, let's talk about Diogenes' life. The man. Not the myth or the legend. The man. What we actually know about him. So, Diogenes was born in Sinope an area of commercial importance contested by the Greeks and the Persians. Around, some people say he was born around 340 BC, 400 BC. I see different things depending on what you, where you search this up, Bing or Google or DuckDuckGo. But anyway, for some reason, Diogenes was exiled and came to, uh, to um, Athens, according to DL, Diogenes of Lurdius. So there's um, a guy named K. von Fritz. He's a scholar from Germany who researched at Columbia, but his original university was Ludwig Maximilian Universität in Germany. It's a pretty, it's a good school from what I heard. And actually, he also talks about the uh, one thing that's widely distributed as true of Diogenes was he was sold by pirates. You ever heard of that story? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he was sold by pirates, and this is what happened. So he... Told, he pretty much, he told one of the, he he was just so smart that he ended up pulling a reverse Uno card and then had one of the richest person buy him. And then he started, and then he taught their kids just unsh- unsure what, because he said, he, they asked him, what is your occupation? And you know what Dodge and he said? Ruler of men. So like, ah, oh, ruler of men, huh? So then he said, yeah. I'm ruler of men. And I think that guy over there, the rich guy, he needs a master. So apparently the master, that's and you look cynical, I see your face. So that the, the rich guy bought him after hearing this. Which, uh, it's really distributed by Manipis. He's an, a cynic sat- satirist. He's very influential too, by the way. There's something called a uh, Manipian satire. It's influ- yeah, he's a very um, prominent cynic. So, yeah, it's not like these cynics were totally useless or anything, that they were just a bunch of homeless people. A lot of them ended up becoming satirists, and some of them were actually, um, they founded their own schools, I think. So, Cave on Fritz, he believes that this story of being sold by, pir- uh, by pirates to this rich guy from who's from Corinth, from what I believe, was pretty made, pretty much made up. It just a, because it's a very consi- uh, common cynic legend that he was sold by pirates, and he was so smart, and he was such a a good example of sophos, which in Greek means wise. That's one of the tenets of the philosophy that he somehow was able to reverse to do a Uno card reversal and then have some rich guy buy him. Yeah, it's. I mean, the only. I'm gonna say it's like. What if you okay, get, if I was would, taken? I would tell the. I would say the same thing. Where would this account come from? Who recorded this? Who recorded? I think Diogenes of Laertius was the one who um, talked about this. Yeah, but how would he know? And he knows because the other cynics um, referenced it. From where though? Um, you I think have, they, you they have had, to either be there. <laughs> yeah, right. Or be the guy who bought him. Exactly, but. Or maybe the because pirates they, who sold them. So what happened, it was probably it was passed down. Just a cynic story. Diogenes told Crates. Crates told, you know, his pupils. That's how it happens. It's a game of telephone. 
he had a student his student find out that's what that's the thing though that you have to use logic at this at this point like you said so how would how would they have found out that's how you know it's probably a story because um actually i think his first student i don't know if he i haven't read his book yet but his first student was called crates and i don't think he mentions this pirate cell either it's just somebody from 200 years later Oh, that then it pops up. Yeah, that's what's interesting about it. So that's how you can assume. Yeah, I don't think this is true. If it just pops up, otherwise everybody would be talking about this, right? Mm-hmm. But um, that's why I'm on, I'm gonna put the the sources down below because people can read it for themselves. Because yeah, I only read what Diogenes of Laertius is 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 quoting, by the way, and most of it is by Diogenes of Laertius. So yeah, that's why it's a little shaky. But um, yeah, Kayvon Fritz, German guy, I don't believe it. That's what he's pretty much saying. Um, yeah, but everybody can agree though, Diogenes was born yep, in Sinope, the region of the Black Sea. It's a, it was commercial importance, and yep, it was contested by Greek and Persian factions. It's That is going to come, actually, it's going to be uh, relevant later because of what happened that made him go into exile. You know what I mean? You know? Yeah. Um, what is your What are your take on the on the exile? What have you heard about from what you've read? What are What do they tell you about the exile? Uh, I don't recall the reason why. Yeah, you ever read um bi- uh biographics? You ever watched that show? Biographics. I never even heard of so the on, show. On YouTube, it's like is this channel with some guy who does top tens. He's a bald guy from England. You ever seen him? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, he's super popular. So uh, he talks about yeah, I can, if I can. Simon Whistler. So if you look up Simon Whistler, he did. Um, Dio is looking up Simon Whistler. I'm curious if there's any biographics fan here. Yeah, because biographics, they did a, a biography on, on Diogenes on YouTube. And he got a lot of views. He got 400,000. But I think that's where everybody usually gets. This is the only fact that people get correct usually. That he's from um, Sinope. But anyway, yeah, he was exiled. We don't know why, right? So let's talk about the next thing. Uh, all we know is that his dad was called Hesisius, and he adultered the Sinopian coin, and Diogenes was exiled then around in Athens. And then Eubides, Eubides, I don't even know how to pronounce that, I gotta perfect my Greek. Well, you said that was his, his dad? His Sisius, yep. He was uh, a mint. By the way, this is the counts from different people. So here's, here's the thing the exile is also contested because you have one person saying, okay, he was exiled because the dad did something to the coins. Then he was uh, banished from the city or that area. Some people say Diogenes did it himself. So his, his dad was. He was rich. A prominent figure, yeah. Yeah, he was a mentor. Yeah, mentors? It's a big deal because the Sinopian currency at the time was the most um, valuable from what I, not the va- most valuable, but I think it was pretty important. And by the way, at that in that area, from the archaeological evidence that, and compared to other other like cities in Greece, Sinope was the one with the most defaced currencies. It's also interesting that that apparent that apparent uh, some scholars said that the Sinopian uh, area. There was factions. There was people who were pro pro Greece and pro Persia, 
because it was uh, contested by those two countries. So, yeah, some people think that it was something political, maybe. That maybe it, it could have been his dad. It sounds like it, yeah. So, um, yeah, some, so you have also, that's why I say it gets shaky, because you have different people saying different things. You Some people said that he was, that Diogenes did it, and he was urged by the city. No, no, he was urged by um, colleagues to do it. And then he went to the Oracle, and the Oracle told him, yeah, go do it. And then he did it, right? And then all this shit fan happened. And another version is that his father told and trusted him with the coin, and he debased it, and his father was sent to prison and died and fled. To, and then after that, he, went, he died and he's fled and went to um, Delphi, the Oracle. By the way, this is the same Oracle that... Uh, Alexander the Great went to Socrates, you know, fortune tellers. So he could have just been like the worst son in the world. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But here's the he thing, though. He got his dad killed. He's <laughs> <laughs> trying to do something cool. His, his uh, co-worker's like, hey, man, you know, it'd be funny if you, uh, you would dodge these coins. Yeah, that your dad gave you. That'd be awesome. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> his dad gets killed. <laughs> he's like, oh, shit. It was a prank, bro. I think I would pee on and poop on people after that. <laughs> I would too. Okay, but that, by the way, that's what. There's just different alternative accounts that they had at the at uh, at the not at the time, but later. The, all the stories that they had because Ubilides, Ubildes, he he was way after Dodge and he's died. And this, it would, I would think there's a more detailed account of this because that seems like a pretty big deal. If he's like such a prominent figure. And he's unless there's unless in like there's some exile because of it. It must have been. But th- that's why it, I don't want to speculate because I'm not a you know uh, historian or a philologist because you know they work on coins and they know about that. Mm-hmm. But I do think that maybe there could have been a cover up, and that, let's get into that later because I think that it seems like the most believable account is that um, Hesychius he was um, he. Uh, I think let's let me go back down on the on some of the notes we have because we have a bunch of notes that we're reading off. But um, let me see because Seltman he's the he's the the I don't know what the the word is, but the philologist he's the coin. Um, he's a he's an expert in coins, and he read a read a story uh, read one of his um, influential papers. The, the author D R Dudley. He had the privilege to read this paper, right? Who he um, talked about with uh, the Cambridge Society of the Coins or whatever. And he believed that Hesychius probably... Hesychius did exist because there's evidence that the coins were defaced. They were in Sinope. And that Hesychius was a real person and he was a mentor and a political figure. And he, he was um, an important person who had a trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why it's like, and he said he thinks that it's, there was a political motive around it, and that what happened was, um, um, let me look that up again. It's because it's like okay, this is like the first major event. Yeah, first major event. That's and it's one thing out of everything so far outside of like where he was born. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, 
it's such a in the people involved it should be like one of the most easily verifiable things that's why it's kind of like, a brain fart because you have different people giving different accounts where like but, other things get stated and it's like there's no other like oh maybe this happened it's just like no this happened and it's something like how would you have record of that whereas this is big yeah this is a big thing and it's like oh we really we know what happened but the we coins really were found they were defaced his sisius was real he had a mint and even still there's what was there's three different kind of ideas about how it happened either his he did it his father did it or they both did it they both did it together <laughs> like <laughs> father son adultering <laughs> yeah so it's they got in together hey son come and come and help your dad out well he was by the way he was a lot he was at least in his I don't want to say twenties, but he was in his in his years, so he wasn't a little kid at this point. So, why would his well, motivation so, uh, would his would they have to do it? His dad or him? So, because this is my theory, because Sinope was a, was a contest between Greek and Persian factions, maybe they they adulterated the coins for a reason to debate. They debased the currency, so I don't know how that would affect affect it. Honestly, but yeah, what is your theory though? I, I'm trying to, but think. I, there is something to it. There is something if you mess with the money, which is very important to send up in that region, maybe and you get killed for it. Mm-hmm. If, if it's they say you did it, you're getting killed for it. He was trying, there was something he was trying to pull off. Maybe he, I don't know if he was pro Greek faction or pro Persian faction, but and he must have understood that punishment's death. Mm hmm. Well, it was prison. And then he died in prison, from what Seltman says here. Oh, he this, went to prison. And yeah, died he went to prison. prison and he died there. What was the sentence? I don't know about the sentence. No, he didn't really talk too much about that. I, I was looking up Seltman, his paper on this, but I couldn't find it because apparently he. Yeah, this Seltman is. I don't know what year he's from, but I, I'm gonna ha- cite this source down below. But Seltman said that. Yeah, he what he might have done it for a political reason, but he he never states what it could have been. But I'm thinking that if you adult a coin in, in, in ancient Greece, maybe something happens, and then I'm trying to p- wrap my head around this, but I don't, I don't want to stick on this topic too much. But there is something, something that there, there's got to be, there's got to be a because big, the a coin, because the coin was important in that area. Yeah. The coin is important because it was, you know, it's on the Black Sea. It's a very important trade route, and then Persia wants that area, so. Could be many, many things. But that'd be funny if we just did a, a video on why, why he got exiled. But he got exiled, that's all we know, and that, that is a fact. But, his uh, dad died. And his, that's one account by Seltman. He's the, arch, I don't want to call him an archaeologist because he's actually a coin, he's a philologist from what I understand, that is a, as a, an expert on ancient coins. That's how, that's how they found the ancient coins and proved that Dodge and he's, did exist. His dad did exist. It's because of this uh, philologist who went there and he he found these coins and they were all debased. Mm. And only in this area too. So there's there is I smell a cover up. That'd be funny if we um figured out after two thousand years. What happened? The cover up <laughs> Oh there's a cover up. Yeah, that's two thousand years ago. Oh. But anyway, um Someone says that 
This kind of proves that Diogenes was exiled and it kind of shines a light why. Maybe he wanted to deface the currency of society and assault these established values because his father was a state official who occupied that trust and Hesychius was put unjustly thrown in prison and probably died there. And the son, well onto his years, was banished from society and his country. He had ample justification for feeling a grudge against society. So, and I think, by the way, Dr. Dudley and Makes sense. yeah. So, I, if you think about it, yeah, he does seem very jaded. I'm trying to, I'm not trying to make this psychological, right? But I do want to get to the to the fact of the matter of him as a person, as, as a man, rather than a legend. Yeah, I gotta try and understand that to make sense of. Rather than yeah, rather than a legend, rather than than a myth, because it seems like he's very jaded and he really hates society. But yeah, that anger doesn't come from just anywhere. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like his dad was killed unjustly, and he was put in prison because he was pursuing some political pol- um, pursuit. Yeah, and that's that's why I like highlighted this because it seems like okay, this is a big event that something mm-hmm. clearly very bad happened, and there's not much. He got exiled and his dad died in prison. Yeah, and there's... uh, That's a defining moment for anybody. And definitely, um, there's nothing written on it either from any other sources about the... About, yeah, like the sentencing or the... Anything like that. Because at least for for Socrates, we know about his... Maybe because he was big. We know about his uh, apology and how he was sentenced and his defense against the the people who were um, uh, trying to put him in prison or kill him for life. At least we have that evidence. We have it from Xenophone. We have it from uh, different people who wrote on it and talked about it. And we're even present at it. I think Antisthenes was present at that uh, court hearing mm-hmm. or whatever we call it back then, 2000 year, uh, years ago. So the fact that there is no evidence about that, it, it makes me think that, the, yeah, there could be some kind of conspiracy against Greece. Maybe, maybe I don't know if he was on the Persian or Greek side. So if he was on the Persian side, maybe he wanted to deface Greek currency on purpose to make that area weaker somehow. So so um, the Persians can come and annex it or something like that? Yeah, or just a political statement. A political statement that maybe, yeah, maybe he did on purpose so they, would, they wouldn't see that. Yeah. That's assuming that he was for the Greeks, for the Persian side. So I'm assuming, yeah, he's on the Persian side. He's defacing the coins so, um, for a political statement and that maybe they won't, maybe it'll weaken the economy of that area and then they have no choice but to, and Persia has to annex it. Who knows, really? I, how how did he, like, what exactly did he do to the coins? He defaced them. So I don't know. But I, like, what? what I'd, have to, I'd have to look up the coins of my, myself. That I'm Just Put, like, a penis on the forehead <laughs> <laughs> of the emperor. <laughs> the emperor. <laughs> the emperor. Who was on the Ro- coins back then? Roman emperors back then. <laughs> he's just, he's just carved a penis on his forehead. <laughs> like, what is this? All right, you're going to jail. <laughs> yeah, so. You have to do something. Just, like, do something that upset people enough. I think it's, like, what do you do? Just like it had to have been well, I mean, a message. It, it must have it, been a message. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think he may have just maybe scratched out the faces or yeah, like whoever was I don't know too much. Of, like the mold, he just like scratched it and then like here. Who knows what he could have done? They don't I don't, there's probably pictures actually if I'd you look have, it up. Yeah, I'm very maybe curious. Maybe maybe check that up, Jamie. Okay. Check that up. What, what am I searching? Go on the uh deface coins in Sinope. 
No, but I'm actually very interested in this, funny enough. I don't know why. It just I'm wondering, because you know what? If this hadn't have happened, then Diogenes wouldn't have become a cynic, and then cynicism wouldn't have really existed, actually, and, and developed the, the work of philosophy and satire that came about it after it. So that's why it always interested me. There's a face on the coins and an eagle on the back. Oh, classic. Sounds similar. Um, I'm kind of curious about this. I never looked them up, actually. I see. Yeah, it's... I'm curious, too, about... Oh, yeah, I think he actually... Yeah, from what it seems here, it looks like these coins are actually, like... They're cut. There's a, yeah, I, I don't there, know There's if, a gash. I don't know if that's what he did, there's, but I found those same images. I don't know if that's just because it's old. No, no, or no. If that's what he did. I think it's yeah. No, that's a very specific. Cut. It looks like it's it's done on purpose. If you look at the the coins, yeah, and it's. I think that is Athena. Is it the goddess Athena? I think that is Athena, and that's so a very. That's, he just took like a chunk out. Yeah, it's like if you do that. Yeah, also if you adulter a coin here in the U.S., that's a crime too, from what I heard. Obviously, it's a crime, but that's obvious. But I think back then it was. That's if that's if that is a goddess. Yeah, I think it does say Athenian or Athenian. So if that is Athenian, which is the most important one of the most important goddesses in Greek Greek culture, if you cut that, then yeah, that looks like blasphemy. It's blasphemous. So, yeah, so that, assu- that makes sense. So I'm assuming that he maybe he was pro Greek pro Persian side. I don't know too much about his ancestry, whether or not, because a, a lot of the people who relocated to um, this area in the Black Sea were Athenian. So maybe he, I don't, I'd have to look more into this. Yeah, it was the cut I'm reading. It yeah. It's the cut. It is the cut. Man, I wish we could have put this on uh, and so people could see, but. Uh, yeah, philogic, yeah, the philosophy. Philological, philological society never printed this out uh, about what Seltman um, concluded. But he did exist, and you can look him up. That's why I'm going to put him in the sources down below. Now, let's go back. I, I'm going to go on the Oracle story that Seltman was talking about. Um, Seltman believes the Oracle story was a fact after the death of his father. He asked the Oracle, how can he become famous? Alter the currency was, his re- was the response. So that's the hypothesis. So the oracle star, oracle might be true too. This is saying like um, Diogenes was elected at this time. Well, he might have been the um, the superintendent at the time because that's what Seltman said. They, he might have been, uh, not Seltman, but one of the author, authors in D.R. Dudley, one of the sources say that he might have been um, somebody higher up, like a manager. Hmm. Yeah, the exact nature, but it must have been cutting them. It's uh, it's this interesting little. Uh, it's a coin uh, form, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Funny enough. Um. But yeah, they made it seem like he was an elected official, and he did it, and like he had to have been working with some people there in order to do it. It's not something you can do alone. Maybe it was a whole group. Maybe he, he had a bunch of people in on it. 
Let's move on to the Oracle part. You like the coin story, don't you? You want to uh, know? Uh, um, okay, so it's like, uh, just there, because no one knows for sure. No one knows for no sure, yeah. For sure. But no they just give sure. the idea that uh, to prove the point that coinage and laws were all like superficial mm-hmm. to na- uh, and rejecting materialistic things. So it's to send a message, not even like a political, it's kind of, you can call it political, but it's more just like, yeah, but the, hey, yeah, this is all I BS. Think, I think you're getting into the different theories because th- that's the theory that Diogenes did it, which is um, some people believe Diogenes may have done it. Some people would think his father may have may have done it. They in here they seem to say he was elected, so he was in government at this time. We have to check. We have to check that later. Yeah, let's not get into that because otherwise we're going to end up talking about the coin conspiracy and then this and I mean, end up becoming the coin him, conspiracy episode. Him being uh, an elected official, I think, is an important point though. I don't think I, he, think I, I don't think he's an elected official though. I don't because the the mint was in in Hisicia's name, not Diogenes' name. He's so I don't think he was the the, the owner of the trust according to Seltman. And he's kind of the uh, the authority on this project, on this research research into the the coins from what I heard. Because at least if you look up Cambridge, the Cambridge Philological Society, you'll find Seltman. And then Seltman's work on these coins. Mm-hmm. And he's the one who said that it was Hesisius. So I think the, the fact that it says Diogenes could be, um, it could be actually um, on purpose. Maybe they said it was Diogenes to, to prove a point. Because the, from what the, from what I heard that there's not the coins were not in um there's that I don't know too much about minting the minting process but it's in Hesistius's name in a sense Samuel Alexander the defaced the, there's a book about it oh def- about the this exact <laughs> event it's oh a my big thing. it is a big thing it's a big thing but I don't deface the currency the lost dialogues of Diogenes. By Samuel Alexander. You know what's funny? One of my professors' names Same is as Samuel, Samuel Alexander. Alexander. <laughs> Do you have to really love coins if you're going to read that book? Because I bet you most of it is going to be on the historical proceedings of the coin minting in ancient Greece. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be hilarious if it's just about coins? They're selling this book hard. <laughs> really? How, how expensive is it? I mean, uh, I mean, they're just selling just the idea of it. Why is it that today none of Diogenes' writing survived despite vast literatures from his philosophical contemporaries having survived? Was his vision of a simple living utopia so threatening to the vested interests of the time that his books and essays were destroyed? And how is it that almost two and a half millennia after Diogenes died, in an age that needs his ideas more than ever, the present volume of Diogenes' dialogues have come to life. I feel an agenda here. The <laughs> answers lie within. I feel that there's an agenda here when he's talking about the utopian society. We're not ready for them. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot. There's too much power. By the way, you know what's funny about Diogenes is that he wasn't practical practical enough to. Uh, some people consider him the first anarchist. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, he kind of gets those vibes. But I don't think he is really the first anarchist. Because you know why? If he was, I think he would have, first of all, he wasn't a practical anarchist because if you want to just be an anarchist, you have to destroy hierarchies, right? So he could have easily got all these people to go and try to assassinate the tyrants. 
he believes in. He had a following. Do you know a book called The Greek Praise of Poverty? No. I know more about what I'm interested in mostly is and for the for this podcast is to show the kind of the cynical um how cynicism has affected the, you know literature and history and and right. other philosophical ideas. I'm not really interested too much in the the coin coinage and stuff like this in I depth. I don't think this has to do with coinage though. No, I mean, it doesn't. Th- this the Greek praise of poverty. It has to be about cynicism. Good, right yeah 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 so one i I like the idea more of the other the watchdog ideas of cynicism and i think we could that's i think the poverty stuff is not that doesn't really interest me as much because i think there's not much to say about it maybe because i don't see uh so much of i don't see as poverty as a uh as a virtue too much so that's why i don't really want to yeah, focus on it, that it's about ancient cynics yeah Antisthenes, Diogenes. Funny enough, the Antisthenes was um, not... People like to call him the first cynic, right? Because they say that he's the first cynic, but I think he's the first proto-cynic because he did teach at the um, Sino-Sargis school. But here's the thing, though. The fact that he's definitely not the first cynic because Aristotle never referred to him as a cynic. He referred to um, Diogenes as a cynic, which, by the way, cynic means dog, right? He never referred to Antisthenes in his books ever as Antisthenes being um, uh, a cynic, a dog, or anything like that, any of the names that were used at the time. Well, this is just saying, like, the the cynical ideas oh, come, the cynical, from, yeah, yeah, yeah. come Def- from, like, the experience of being yeah. poor. Yeah, oh, yeah, that makes sense, yeah. I thought he was, like, going on about the, him being a cynic and stuff. No, no, no it's just, like, that's kind of, yeah, those ideas and that philosophy comes from just, yeah. Being yeah, poor. yeah, poverty. Mm-hmm. They put an emphasis on that. But funny enough, <laughs> a lot of the cynics didn't end up, well, the most important cynics tended to be people who were rich and then stop. Um, they give away their money to the people and then redistributed it. The, I mean, there's one in Rome specifically. I think the emperor... And somebody of high class went to the cynic and told him, I'm willing to give you a, this sum of, of drachmi or whatever the money was used back then in Rome. And the cynic said no, and he refused the offer. And I know that the the other cynic, which was uh, the, the pupil of Diogenes, the most important one, his name was Crates, who ended up teaching the first teacher, the first um, the founder of Stoicism. He was a, a rich landowner, and he gave everything away. He gave everything away, and he went to go live that, yeah, uh, life of poverty. I don't know if he lived in a wine jar, though. That's the thing. Because poverty could be mean, could mean different things. Maybe just make a lot less money, mm-hmm. right? Poverty means different things for different people. I'm assuming maybe he just, or maybe he did live on the street. I don't know. To, I haven't read too much about crates. I know more about Diogenes and Antisthenes. But I know there's a... Uh, I mean, uh, something, it had like a big idea behind it has to do with that idea of at least class and wealth. 
I mean, that's why it makes sense with the coin thing. You, there had to be a purpose. And, like, that sort of made sense to me. Mm-hmm. He did it because, like, what does this really mean? Yeah, yeah, but that's the question, though. Whether Diogenes did it or his dad. That's, we don't, we'll never know. Mm-hmm. We can assume, yeah, we can only assume. That's the question of it. Because we're talking about the historical aspect, not what we want it to be. Because probably for some people, because it is said that Diogenes, before he came to um, But even still, I don't think it would make much of a difference if he or his dad did it. Same thing. It would have the same effect on the person who, on him. I what think. I what I mean is that I don't know if his dad was a cynic though. I don't think I don't know if he did it for that reason. Maybe, but, but it would have had that. It still could have had the same effect. Like my dad defaced these coins, and they pr- imprisoned him for that. Oh, but that, yeah, yeah. That's definitely yeah, definitely. I can see why you say that. That he got those ideas because of um, his dad being killed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. What I am, what I'm saying is that I don't think that his dad did it for that purpose to show about show inequality. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. I think I, his dad did it out of politics. Yeah, he did. Maybe, maybe who knows? Really, maybe he could have because he did deface these coins. He could have. Maybe he was trying to start a war. Who knows what he was trying to do? Who knows? Really, that's the most interesting part about it, actually, because that is the only thing that we and know about. Either either way, he grew up wealthy. Yeah, and then he got it all taken from him. Yeah, he grew up wealthy, definitely, because and if he had he, it all taken from him. Mm-hmm. So that would also do it to you. Yeah, you would you definitely took, have a grudge on society. You took everything from me, and really, and he then would, it's and they took, and they took if, his. If something, uh, if you have all this money, you're a billionaire. I don't know how rich he was, but maybe multimillionaire. Someone takes all your money. Someone can just take it all. Yeah, what does that do to you? Yeah, like, I would it's be meaningless. I would be. It my if it's your family, my family works so hard for this, and it's just gone like that. I would be pretty jaded too. Then this, because then, but you get the idea that yeah, there's no real. What am I working so hard for all of this if someone can just take it away like At that? At least in that time, if you do that now, yeah, you're gonna get a gun sticking in your face if you try that. Even still, in some places. Oh yeah, definitely. It, oh, like the government can just take your money, like Jackie Chan's mansion being taken. It's <laughs> a good example. But he, he got it back. He got it back. Got it back. Okay, we're fine. You <laughs> got it back. Everyone, yeah. yeah, but um, well, what's the value if you can't do anything with it? Okay, yeah, I'm going. No, I <laughs> I'm trying get, to make a strong connection to that because I think that's no. I get what you're saying. The d- a defining. I guess point. that that wa- that is why the philosophy grew because of this experience. Yes. Because yeah, that is true. Um, I want to get. Ba- I want to get yeah. to the oracle part <laughs> if you're gonna let me. Go back. It's already it's already nine o'clock, man. I'm starting to get sleepy. I'm just kidding. I was just trying to key in on something that I no, but that is I like that point you made though because the I don't necessarily see virtue and poverty, but I understand why he why this is a this philosophy appealed to so many people. Because I, mean, I mean, I always have to tie it into the present because that's how I like make sense of it. Some certain but, things that pass. Like, stand the test of time. People but he, still think that about but, money. But you know, it's funny. Even after two thousand years, a lot of people have similar ideas. Yeah. That yeah, that, that like like tie like the Federal Reserve sort of stuff. Like that it's live, a fiat currency. It's meaningless. Yeah, that live minimally. You know what I mean? If this is how For that wealth reason. can be taken away so easily, yeah. especially with with go, what's going on right now with the coronavirus, everything you work for, man. I mean, all those businesses shutting down. Not that, saying that that's good. That's, Not that's saying that's form, good. That is a form of it being just taken away from you, out of of your own control, your own power. Like I'm just saying, like, w- 
if there is a chance that you are poor and you, for whatever reason, right, there's a plague, people are dying, it's robbed from you, it's stolen from you, it's like, I still think you shouldn't be depressed and live, uh, you know, live a life that's, um, that you think is meaningless because you're not rich. Because some people think that way. If I can't, if I'm not rich, then my life is worthless kind of thing. Mm, true. So my idea is that I personally want, would wouldn't mind being more wealthier, mm-hmm. right? But I'm at the same time, maybe because of this philosophy, I'm thinking, well, worst case scenario, if something happened and I just was dirt poor for, for whatever reason, it was taken from me or something happened, like the, the vi- another plague or some conspiracy, then I could see I'd have to find a way to cope with being poor. Probably would be cynicism. Really, it's like you could still... Yes. Your life isn't meaningless okay. just because you don't have money. That's but like, okay, being just that type of cynic is like, I'm gonna go way out here. With whoa, whoa. It's like a base. <laughs> it's like base base form saying. Base form. <laughs> if you, you're you, un, if you are don't un, do this. I'm gonna do it. Don't do this. If you are uncancelable. If you are un, if you can create wealth and value on your own that no one can take from you. Then you'll always be rich. Then you're a, saint, a super saiyan. <laughs> okay, never mind. I thought you were going to say because you always will be rich. No, but you, do you get the idea that I'm, I'm, I'm not, saying? I don't watch that cartoon stuff, man. I don't watch it's that. Dragon But, okay. Um, no, I get what you're saying, though. I'll, I'll explain it maybe a bit more clearly. But there, there is it, that it's, I, it's It's meaningless if it can be taken from you. Yeah. The reality. But if you built something, you've built value, built wealth on your own, doing your own thing. And no one can take it from you. Kind of like Joe Rogan, right? That's in a way. I know she, a, he's not the best example, though. A good example of somebody. He's a decent example. It would. There's people out there, you know. They just do that. Or like comedians, people who love watching certain comedians. Yeah, uh, everything is coming from. If, them. It's an internal good. It's not an external good. That's yes. what you're trying to say. It's, an, it's what compromises who you are as a human, as an individual that cannot be taken from you. Mm-hmm. Your your be you being funny. Yeah, you being strong. Actually, you, being you could say Alex Jones, <laughs> but he got canceled. But he's still making his money. He just had to uh, you, had to adapt. Oh crap! You brought in I, Alex I Jones. To, I had to because someone. Yeah, he's very cancelable. Yeah, he's very cancel cancelable. He was, but he survived. Mm-hmm. He made it through. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying because things can be taken away from you. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's funny. I, I did want to actually make this a separate vid- um, episode. Where we can talk just about the teachings of Diogenes, because I think I used to think that some of the teachings were, I don't know, I didn't really care much about it because I used to be more interested in other like philosophy back then when I was younger, natural philosophy, like all the stuff like uh, Thales and Miletus, the first scientist. I was interested in all his stuff, he, the, all the stuff he used to talk about um, about cosmology, about mm. biology and stuff like that. But then once I got older, I'm like, wait a minute, yeah, you have to make money, so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if and, you think about it, it's very it's, scary what could happen to you because you what you, so if you for example, if you're like so, uh, in a job that if you're in a job, you're not secure. You're never secure. Yeah, because you, you can, can be fired. You can be fired you can or be laid off. You can be laid off or yeah, just something happens like coronavirus, right? Coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there there is a very important aspect of internal goods. Yes. That you have yes. to develop yourself as in something like. Something that can make value without it being taken from you. So it could be your wits. It could be your 
your comedy. It could be also even sometimes that can be taken away too. So that's the part where stoicism comes in, I think. But I don't want to go into stoicism because, like, let's say like you're a bodybuilder and you, you get in a car crash. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I know it's hyperbolic, but that's the whole point of stoicism. Like, there are things out of your control, but just because you should focus on the things you have control over rather than the things you don't have control over. Because you can't control if somebody who's drunk just suddenly crashes into your car and just makes you a quadriplegic and then now you can't do mm-hmm. things. You sh- you can't yeah. really focus I mean, on that. You really can't. You can only focus on what you do after, what you can y- yeah. What you can do, what you do have control over. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you d- like you don't have control over your height either or what race you have. Yeah. You don't have control on that, over that. So yeah. don't focus on things that you... Obviously, have no control over. Because I know some people, but I don't want to bring up shorties. But I knew somebody who was short, and he had, he had a little man short, short man rage. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, damn, I wish I could tell him, like, dude, like, I know you're short, but it's like, trying to be angry about something you can't really control. It's like, what can you do? Like, really, it's like you're short. It's like you can't. Maybe you could con- try to focus on something you can't control and, I don't know, make, I don't know, try to find a, the cure to become taller or something. I don't even want to call it a cure because that's you pretty can, fucking neat, pretty <laughs> messed up for saying the cure. I think you can get, like, a surgery and they'll uh, put, yeah. put, like, uh, something in your No, knees. no, but there is a surgery for that, actually. Yeah, they yeah. put, like, uh, the rods. The rods in your knees and it can... That's pretty... Yeah, it's expensive it, and it's painful. I heard. Yeah, it, and the it recovery is like years. And it also only gives you like two or three inches. Two or three inches is. Do you think that's a lot? Um. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll give you that. I but only st- date guys who are <laughs> over six feet. Dude, I'm five ten. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's true. Never these, mind. I'm, go not, get, I'm not going to say that let again. Let me go get these rods. <laughs> let me get the rods. See you in three years. Can I, Can I go on to the Oracle? <laughs> I okay. One last thing, I don't think it's I, I, a balance. I want to say balance. So not just internal. You need some external too. Yeah, obviously. I mean, we live in a world that is capitalistic, and you do external can mean just possessions, but it sell some merch. Oh, oh, you're just trying to. <laughs> it's too soon for that. I'm just hey, but I can I can put it out to the people. You got the little. You got the little cynic plushie, the doll. You got the statue. You got right here Diogenes with his cloak. And the staff merch for twenty dollars. Just the business, the external sell, goats sell something. But it's funny. That's why I don't think Diogenes. I know we're going on a tangent right now, right? But I do want to talk about this because I think, yeah, Antisthenes was very different than uh, Diogenes. I don't think he would have been his teacher, because otherwise he would have uh, normal normalized how Diogenes, uh, Antisthenes he did teach at a school. He did um, own things. He owned possessions. A lot of them. He had a house. He had money. He has some, not a lot. He t- Antistany talks a lot about poverty, but I, th- I think what he means by poverty is just being like, well, I don't have a mansion, but I have a nice little house and I have what I need, just a bed and then where I can place my food and stuff like that. And funny enough, a lot of people liked him, funny, <laughs> Antistany's. When he used to go to the banquets, like, I, I don't have a lot of external goods, but I do think I have some internal goods, which, yeah. But anyway, enough of that. Let's go to the, the next. Let's go to the uh, Oracle. Because, yeah, the Oracle is a big thing. Another big push about Diogenes' story as a man, as a person. This, either the Oracle is, by the way, could have been 
what made him deface those coins. Either he consulted the oracle before, or he did it after this happened. So that's another question too. Saltman thinks it was after, right? I'm gonna go with Saltman just because I like. I don't know. Maybe I should be cynical about him. Maybe it's because he's from Cambridge. I'm letting that get to my head. Is he from that's, Cambridge and he's British? Yeah, he's English. How about that? I don't know about that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think it also wasn't just about um, when he got exiled. I want to make this clear. I don't think it was just about his possessions too. He wasn't just, his whole status was taken by, from him, by the way, his civic status. So he technically wasn't a citizen. And when you're not a citizen, I mean, in ancient Greece, that's a big deal. Because you know who wasn't a, a citizen in ancient Greece? Uh, females. Women were not were not citizens. Mm-hmm. So women, citizens, there's a lot of privileges you don't you don't have. And also, if you're poor, I don't think you can be a citizen. And I had to look that more into this because I don't want to. You know, I know we're kind of infotainment, right? But I do want to try to get be in, informative as well. That's why I, I have to research that. For my, but from my understanding, that the cynic, that being uh, at least in Athens at the time. If you wanted to be a citizen, you had to be, I think, wealthy. Wealthy, just kind of like in America. Like if you wanted to be a citizen, you had wanted voting rights. You had to have been obviously Anglo-Saxon Protestant, and have and be a landowner and wealthy. At least during the founding fathers' era, the very early beginning. Mm-hmm. So I think, especially I think during the Athenian times, I'm pretty sure they was like this, but even worse. You also had to be ethnically Greek. So he, I mean, he had that going for him, but. Yeah, he was. T- everything was taken from him, actually. His friends and family too. He maybe that's the that's the part that might have been a, a really jading of an effect for him that he was exiled. And if it was for that reason, yeah, I would definitely have reacted the way he would be, and had that existential crisis because everything is taken from him. your civic status, your possessions, your home, your that whole area, yeah, your it's family, just, it's your not friends. E- it's every- not even just the money. It's your family and friends too, because maybe he had a. Who knows? Maybe he was want, He wanted to get married, and then he was exiled. Yeah, I didn't even. What else can you do that? I didn't even think about that. You lose. It's citizenship. No, I kind of want. I don't so want to. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, when you at lose ci- when you lose citizenship, and the and even now, because look at Edward Snowden, he can't come back to the U.S. He's exiled. Technically, he's in exile. He can't come back and see his friends, his family. Um, yeah. Go to his house. It's a big deal, and it's very jading, I think. Yeah, it's like, what is it? What is, so, what is the system then, if you can just have that taken away? Yeah, and I don't want to go to the, oh, uh, the system and all that, you know? But I I get it. I get it, what he's going through. And I think that's the thing I about mean, Diogenes, that we, we should understand more about him as a person rather than... He was anti the system, right? Yeah, he was. He wanted people to live in, in accordance with nature. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think nature won't... Nature for it can mean different things for different people. For example, for me, I think I would my nature would be eventually if I have money, I'd want to live in a in a house where I can have a bunch of animals and kind of a farmhouse out in the more of the country. I think that's pretty simple. I think I think it's not totally like ambitious, right? There's some people who don't think that way though. There's some people who want to be CEOs. Who want to be top bankers, right? And they can have that. That's fine. But I think Diogenes, what, what he was thinking was living in accordance with nature, just being a, a human. Like, what does a human need, right? Instead of focusing on 
these monetary aspects uh, focus on things you know like things that that a human is capable of like reasoning enjoying food being with fa- family and friends stuff like that but even th- here's the thing though the dodging was very extremist though okay we're going on a tangent again because i want to make this a different episode because yeah he did he also put he also tackled that issue on family too that if family disowns you then you should kind of disown them too you know what i mean so he's very very radical maybe he was on he was radical because he was jaded but maybe he was also because he uh, on purpose to show that it's a kind of cookie cutter philosophy it's it has all the answers just live in accordance with nature but anyway um Let's I think of something else I was reading recently. Something about, like, in accordance with nature from some other... The Stoics also talk about in accordance with nature. Yeah, it was something else. I mm-hmm. wish I'm trying to think of Or it sometimes now. they say it in accordance with virtue. Wish I could remember so I could talk about it. But it would be another tangent anyway, so... Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's very interesting. That I think the coin part... Where and we're still we're still talking about the coin part. Funny enough, um, <laughs> I didn't bring it back. <laughs> uh, we Wait, start? It might have been from a, a, a film. Stop talking about the coins. It might have been from a film. Oh yes, yes. Um, which it's it's from a movie. It's from a movie, but I won't remember now. We'll continue. Anyway, okay. So, also, there's another little story that apparently he had converted to. The idea of of his, his philosophy, one of the biggest tenets in cynicism is self-sufficiency, right? And he saw a mouse running around when he arrived in Athens. You know, not afraid of the dark, not afraid of anything, just eating little crumbs and just being satisfied. And I think he, uh, this is a story, by the way, so take it or leave it, right? But this is what, a, a lot of the people think that he was already kind of devoted to um, cynicism before he was in exile, but I think it was probably right. Yeah, after his dad died, if that's, if we go with that story, whatever happened with the ex- exile or his dad dying, he became a devotee of cynicism. Really, I think. So I think this story of the mice of the mouse, he was watching it and he was thinking about how it was self sufficient and all it needed was a bunch of little crumbs and he was satisfied. And then he took that idea. Maybe the story is true, but um. It's funny because I was writing about Neil deGrasse Tyson and I was thinking about him because he said this too. Because in reality, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, people just need beans. I mean, if you had beans and rice, you could literally survive on that. I mean, yeah, that's what the gladiators eat, beans, or no, beans and bread for, because they weren't rich enough to afford meat. So it's like, if you got to do, we got to do what you got to do. And technically, I mean, we eat meat because of luxury at this, at, if you think about it. And I think he's just, he's doing it to condone that if a mouse can do it, why can't he just live simply like that, you know? I personally, <laughs> I, I like meat, so it'd be hard for me, but I get what he's, what he's thinking. But anyway, um, yeah, there's a story that he talks a lot about, uh, talked with Plato a lot. Like he used to go to his lectures and shit there, eat there, and then he would insult him but from what i but from what dr dudley says in his book what i was reading it doesn't seem that he would have been in contact with plato too much he would probably would have seen him a few times but uh, but 
Plato does call him Mad Socrates, according to Diogenes Laertius. So that's why, and, and I think this makes sense calling him the Mad Socrates because if you think about it, he's really inspired by Socrates' teachings, specifically on what is the good life. How do you live, right? How should you live your life? And then that's probably the extremist version of Socrates' teachings. Because Socrates actually is very similar to Diogenes, actually. A lot of people don't want to, you know, paint him as that. But by the way, Diogenes, um, Socrates, remember, he was ugly. You know he was ugly, right? This is actually a very important part of his character. Because he had this one conversation with somebody over wine. And he, it was a drunk guy. And he, he was so smart, he made him think... He made um, the person who was drunk think he was beautiful. That's how you know smart he was. That's one of the stories, right? He was ugly. He was actually smelly too. I heard he didn't take a bath too much. He would always used to walk around barefoot. He only wore like a very simple um, uh, cloak, which is the Greek cloak. I forgot what the name is, but very similar to Diogenes actually. And he also put a very um, um, he put an emphasis on training your mind and training your body, like Antisthenes. And Antisthenes is a student of Socrates, so you can really see the parallel here. So I think um, Plato calling Diogenes the mad Socrates is actually pretty, I think it's pretty accurate, actually. And I think this might have been true, because if you think about it, it does sound like Socrates' teachings, but like put to the extreme, like the radical Socrates, that area he used to emphasize on. So, anyway, um, concerning the mouse story, I yeah, like I said, I think he was already devoted to an aesthetic lifestyle, you know. Aesthetic meaning he would, kind of like a monk lifestyle, where you try to avoid pleasure and, self, and you try to focus on self-control. So I think he would, from what I understand, DL said this, by the way. Diogenes Lardius said that he was probably a devotee. Hmm. But yeah, when he lived, when he got to Athens, he lived in a wine jar. Now, by the way, the wine jar story, apparently, from what I, this is another story I'm going to throw out there, take it or leave it. He's, he apparently, he, when he went to Athens, he was being a sarcastic, you know, asshole like he always is, right? Diogenes. And he told somebody, why don't you go buy me a cottage to some guy? Right, because they were asking, like, why are you sleeping on the ground? He's like, why don't you buy me a cottage? He's like, then obviously the guy's not going to buy him a cottage. So he gets a wine jar and he sleeps in there. He's like, nope, it's fine. You were too late. I got something already. And that's kind of to show, even if it's not true, this story is kind of to show that Diogenes is self-sufficient. Okay, fine. If you're not going to get him, oh, whatever. Just live in a wine jar. I don't need you guys. Someone had to make the wine jar. Well, he's, Yeah. Someone did have to make the wine jar. That is true. Well, we should have told him that when we went back. Hey, say, hey, say, hey somebody <laughs> ma- give us that wine jar. No, but actually, he lived in the wine jar, but I don't think consistently, though. I don't think he lived in the whole, his whole life because he also used to sleep in temples. Temples, or he would just live on, sleep on the ground. From what I heard, he actually used to just sleep on the ground sometimes. That's why they called him the dog. Was he an alcoholic? Uh, I, I, I think they used to give him wine. I think he would he would be like take it or leave it right like I'll drink it I don't care from what I heard what I heard yeah what's your what are your sources dude trust me <laughs> <laughs> I love that that um that meme dude trust me <laughs> it makes sense that a 
penniless exile from the farthest corners of the Greek world was already a troll. Diogenes <laughs> uh, also was an, you know, he was actually into Sparta. Did you know that? He apparently, ac- according to, I feel like the little kid, I keep saying apparently, apparently. But I have to say, because every time I have to reference DL, Diogenes Larius, I'm thinking, it, I don't know if I can, we can trust him, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. But Diogenes Larius said that, that he was, the Diogenes of Sinope was, praised the um, institutions of Sparta and pretty much the education. And D.R. Dudley also said this too, because he used to travel a lot, right? So maybe he traveled to Sparta. Sparta, and then he realized that, by the way, in cynicism, a female can become a philosopher, you know that? Which is actually kind of revolutionary at the time, because people who were um, philosophers usually tend to be men. And I think, I don't know Plato too much about Plato, but I think Plato believed only men should be philosophers, not women. So this is kind of radical. So he... I say this, I bring this up because when he went to Sparta, he probably, if he went, or even if you had heard about Sparta, you, people admire the Spartans because even the women were very fit. You know that? They were very muscular and strong and, and beautiful. And also they had rights too, like men, which is very weird for the Athenians because only the men were supposed to have rights. I guess it was a little more, e- it's probably, obviously it wasn't totally equal. But men, but women could go could get an education. They could go to a Spartan school, and they could learn dance and philosophy and art and all that and javelin throws, all the all the edu- Spartan stuff they'd learn. You know, women could do it too. Just learning to do things not as well as men, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, but apparently, well, if you ever watch uh, Sparta, what was it? Uh, Three hundred. Yeah, That's probably how it was. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so it was only Sp- only Spartan women can give birth to real men. No, but it made sense of why they would do it. because if you if you, if you're a very masochistic society, I mean I mean the Spartans believe that they were the the best warriors and they were at the time, right? So it, it would it wouldn't be totally illogical in my opinion. I'm just interpreting it from a modern uh, standpoint to. To make your woman strong too. Like if you want to have strong babies, you should have a strong female, right? What made them strong? Well, they would train very heavily. So they were all muscular. They would train in javelin, discus, running, dancing, just like the men. So all the training, apparently most of the training from what so I read. it's like just a pure warrior intelligence? Yeah. There had to be more than that though. Uh, you know, just like... I don't want to go into it too much, but that's why I'm just kind of being a little vague. Because eventually I do think we should talk about the Spartans. Because Socrates was inspired. I think he was inspired by the Spartans a little bit. I know that's, that Xenophon, in his book Memorabilia, where he talks about Socrates, Socrates actually liked the Spartans. I think actually the governmental structure, from what I heard, interesting enough. Because they had more of a republic system with the constitution. And also the fact that they were strong and that they they were warrior philosophers and that they put emphasis on the mind and the body. They taught them to be they taught them to be um, strong and muscular, but also to learn uh, about wisdom and stuff like that. So to make I think it makes sense. 
in my opinion. If you want to have a healthy, healthy baby, you got to have a healthy wife. You shouldn't just keep her indoors all day doing one thing. You should have, especially if you're Need so focused on military. Those childbearing hips. Yes. Childbearing hips and make, yeah, just make her buff. If you want to, if you want a good kid with good genetics and they were obsessed with that. From what I heard, heard they would throw kids away if they had some kind of de- deformity. And there's no, this is not from 300. I think it's from D. <laughs> but yeah, they were, um. Yeah, they would inspect the child, the children. If if at the time the most intelligent thing is to be the best militarily, was it? Was it? Are you asking me if the rhetorical? Kind of. <laughs> like, <laughs> but if, right? Like, it, it depends, it, like, if it should be the most intelligent thing to have a strong military back then. Let's say. I think. I think back then. The, what is intelligence? Are you asking me if the, if the Spartans were intelligent or you think if they were smart for them to put so much money into the military only? Yeah, that's what I'm asking the second. No, I think I think it was smart because I think um, from what I understand the history of Spartans of Sparta, um, they believe that they they believe that they wanted to keep from what they said that they were very proud of having no walls. Did you know that they were they were proud of having no walls and they thought that their their men were the walls of the city the protectors. Mm. You get what I mean? Interesting. In the end, did that work out? Um, is that dude, a, is it a fatal flaw? You know, eventually, I don't want to get into this too much because then we're going to talk about how Sparta went to, <laughs> to act because Sparta. Because you brought it up, and then I'm just I get very be, curious about things. But Sparta did go to Athens. They did conquer it, and they did develop a navy after they conquered um, Athens. And they, there was uh, the tyrants were in, in government for thirty years. So, I don't know if that answers your question. It's sort it's of. Okay. Does it answer it enough? Enough. But uh, yeah, I think I th- I'm gonna. D- I'm gonna say yes. I think back then investing in your military was not a bad thing. And by the way, they had a lot of rights after all those people they didn't okay, because of the way they ran their, their governmental institutions, after the men came from the military, they were given um a lot of privileges. Right? So there was a, a kind of incentive for people to be in the military. Well, it was compulsory actually. You were forced to go to the military if you're a, a man. But you had to be an actual Spartan man. You couldn't be a one of the lower classes. Mm. You couldn't have been a, a the one of the slaves because you know the Spartans had slaves. I forgot what they called them. They were uh, there was a certain name for them. They were people they conquered, right? And they were afraid of the of an uprising, so they didn't want them to be in the military. Yeah, but um, okay. we'll talk about that later. But yeah, he. I'm pretty sure Diogenes probably visited. Sparta, and there's a Greek. Uh, there's a uh, Dio Chrysostom, a Greek historian of Roman Empire, said Diogenes altered between Athens and Sparta, as did Persian king between Sosa and Ecbatana. I don't know why, why he would say that, but apparently he he made it a, a habit where he, from what he said, this historian, this Greek historian. That's why I I, I emphasize this historian because we don't know that a lot of this stuff is shady. That he went from Sparta to Athens and Corinth and all these cities because he was a wanderer, right? So I don't know, but it would make se- it would make sense sense because he did believe he was from he didn't have a city because you know they used to ask Diogenes 
where are you from? And he'd say, I'm a cosmopolitan. I don't have a city. I'm a, I'm a citizen of the, the whole universe. I'm from everywhere. Well, this was used specifically to negate. But in reality, what he was saying is, I'm not from any of your cities. I don't think he believed he was like a citizen of the universe, even though that's what it says in the name. He used it as a term of negation just mm -hmm. to be kind of a sarcastic asshole towards them and say, I'm not from any of your cities. Don't kid yourself. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, because they, the, the book talks about this, by the way, that he didn't mean it in that sense that he was, oh, I'm from everywhere. Maybe he did. Who knows? But I think it was mostly as a as a sarcastic, witty way of saying, no, I'm not from your city, <laughs> pretty much. He was probably annoyed. Because like we said in the other, I think in the other episode we uh, talked about this. In ancient Greece, they used to ask, where are you from? What is your city? And he probably didn't like how this was such a common question, right? But um, let's move on. But uh, there's another um, historian who's also German. A lot of these historians of the cynicism, the, the earliest ones, a lot of them are actually German. Germans are very good at philosophy. You know that? A lot of prominent German philosophers, Hegel, they, they, uh, they Nietzsche. They started a lot of groups. They started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they did. Germans are interesting people. They're interesting people, yeah. They um, started, yeah, <laughs> two of the largest extremist groups in the world. Yeah. So there's a guy named Schwarz. Edward Schwartz. Maybe we shouldn't do too much philosophy, become an extremist. What do you think about that? Maybe. You know what's funny? <laughs> Jordan, Jordan and me were talking about this, about German philosophy too. Because, you know, Jordan, he really loves philosophy. Mm -hmm. I think that's what got him into learning English, actually, from what he told me. Maybe I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. he, he learned, he liked philosophy, so he learned English so he could read more about uh, philosophy from, you know, the Western world. Interesting. I'd have to ask him again. Maybe I was drunk while I talked to him. I had too much wine. I did not know that about him. But I know he, yeah, he definitely liked, he told me, he actually asked me that. Like, I don't understand how German, Germans could be such a philosophical people and have all these people, all these prominent thinkers like Hegel or Friedrich Nietzsche. Um, who else are the most popular philosophers from Germany? Uh, what's his name? Hegel, Friedrich Nietzsche, um, Immanuel Kant. Yeah, Kant. Uh, Goethe. Goethe was a poet, though. But a lot of prominent thinkers. But then they kind of became so evil. He actually asked me this question too: how they how they became so evil. Yeah, he it's, said it's like it's interesting. He told me that it's like these a lot of German philosophers. But how could a people with thinkers like this act this way? But I really think it's that it. I don't want to get into history, but I I do think desperation does a lot to people. I mean, look at Diogenes. What do you mean? What was so desperate? Uh, maybe the pair the because really the war in Germany happened because of the way France um that uh they signed some accord. I forgot what it was called, man. I, I used to know more about this. But yeah, Germany was crippled by France essentially. And this really affected the way the the country went. That's why the Germans hate at that time hated the French so much, because after World War One uh, essentially Germany took the whole the full brunt of everything and this really destroyed their economy and that's why there was so much inflation that was the rise of you know there was a lot of inflation like you could have so thousands of marks and you could not purchase a piece of bread but essentially yeah they blamed it on on france because of what they did after 
after um, World War One, and then that they became very desperate after this. You can, we can look this more up. I mean, but other countries have suffered through that is similar things, and they didn't. That is an interesting thing, but I think in the same way. when there's a cult of personality, and that is, it is shown that pe- that cult of personalities, Ooh. plus, oh, I'm not going to name his name. <laughs> We're not naming him. <laughs> Why? Is it like, he who must not he be who named. He who must be named. You know, it's funny. I, I'm considering this is actually a, a, a rated R podcast, so maybe I should, I think this is already a rated R podcast, so maybe we should just call, call him what, he, what his name is. Say his name. Fun Twinkle. <laughs> What did he start? <laughs> he started a he started a, a, a party, a very fun party. A, a party with a bunch of boys, super exclusive who, who party. Were, who were Nordic as fuck? Have you seen those memes, dude? Man, so Nordic as fuck. <laughs> Nordic AF. But um, yeah, let's just totally off topic, totally R rated. Um, but yeah, um. Where were we on? Yeah. Yeah, Schwartz. Because Schwartz was a, a prominent German um, who talked about cynicism. So he believes most of the, sto- the stories in Corinth are, are fake. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I think mostly because... I think they, they assume it's fake because why would he be in Corinth where his whole motto was deface the currency, right? So why would you want to deface the currency in Corinth when in reality it's Athens... That's where the heart, the mother, the philosophy city is, the mother philosophy, the, all these norms, and I think it does connect to the Sinopian coin um, incident. I mean, technically, that from what I understand, that city was mostly Athenians, right? So I, I, I can see why he hated Athenians, not Spartans, not Corinthians, not people from Thebes, specifically people from Athens, because of uh, that's my connection. That because of this. So he has this connection with Athenians being the bad people. I mean, there's stories that he used to take a mirror and he would go around in Athens and he would show them the reflections. Now, he didn't hate people. He wasn't a mythanthrope. I think he just wanted to show that people were hypocritical. That's why he did the mirror stunt. I don't know if the mirror stunt was real, though. Like I said, it's a story that he used to do because sometimes the he really wanted to deface the currency. He was just obsessed with that. That was his motto. So that's why he did it. So I'm, I'm thinking that all the stories that he was in Corinth are, if he did, it was probably not for long. But let's move on a little bit. But um, Theophrastus, another philosopher, he was quoted by DL, said that he used to wear the, gar- he used to wear the garb of a wandering beggar. So the cloak and all the staff and all that. So maybe he was always traveling it would make sense. I don't think he stood, he was in his wine jar all day, every day. He probably did travel. I mean, if you're poor and you have nothing else to do, why not just travel, right? Right? And just yeah. beg and then, and then see people, talk to people. I would do that. If, if everything went to, sh- like, if for some reason I couldn't go do my contingency plans if everything goes to hell, all this project we're doing, this, school stuff or work stuff or whatever that's probably what i would do too i would just get a maybe i don't know if i'd get a cloak and just a cloak and a staff maybe i'd get some nice a nice north face so a backpack from arcteryx and just go around and yeah just become a vlogger i don't know maybe diogenes was the first vlogger the modern 
would be just get like an RV. Oh, an, oh yeah, an RV, your horse. Interesting. I, I don't think he ever had a horse. I know he never. He's never referenced in, in any of these stories as having a horse. That'd be to them. He must have done a lot of walking. He must have been really he pretty not fit. Maybe pretty skinny though. Maybe he hitchhiked. Hitchhiked on a horse. Yeah, that's true. Hey. How, do you think he had a thumb out and then every time the horse would come by? <laughs> I don't know. Is that how you hitchhiked back then? It's Unless he had like huge calves. <laughs> I mean, there isn't much emphasis from what I understand of the literary works on him like working out. It's mostly him. What he would do is he would hug, cold, hug statues in winter and then roll in the sand in the summer to like be tough and like you know, be in pain and stuff like that. It's pretty painful, man. I wouldn't do that even if I was really buff. Rolling in the sand, the hot sand. Hell no. I'm not doing that. It's like screaming. <laughs> yeah. You ever done that? It's pretty it's pretty harsh, man, on your body. And it's us hugging statues in winter. I think you could actually get stuck to, stuck to it. Did he was he didn't have his cloak on when he did it? No, he I think he probably did it naked. I mean for the most part he used to do he used the cloak only to travel and then in the winter, and then sleep on it. What if, it, you know, something got stuck to the statue? He would probably... Just rip it off? <laughs> he probably would say, I don't need this. It's not like I'm getting laid anytime soon. <laughs> the true cynic way. I don't need this possession. Is it a possession? <laughs> it's a possession now. It's, it belongs to the statue. But, yeah, definitely that was... Um, you got, you got me thinking about this now. You got me thinking about Don. He's walking around. and then, But he was mostly naked from what I heard. That's why they called him a dog. Because he was just like bear. He's just bear on the ground, sleeping on the ground. And then he would use the cloak as probably like... He would fold it and then sleep on it. So that was his bed. But... um, He didn't have back problems? He lived to 90 from what I heard. Wow. Yeah. But um, think about it though. If you... I mean, if you don't live with stress, I mean, what stress do you really have? You don't live with stress. You do have a good diet, which I think people, if he was the lovable menace that I, that, that and people made him out to be, they'd probably give him food. Give him food and wine and stuff like that. Probably had a very strong immunity. Yeah, probably had a strong immunity. He did a lot of exercise, walked around. He drank, he had figs and lentils. I think it's it's, at least from what I know, that those things are very important. Good diet, good nutrition, no stress will help you live longer. As long as you don't, obviously you don't get sick or get cancer or anything like that. But it does help, especially with the no stress part. But yeah, most people record him dying around 89. Even though I don't want to get to his death yet, by the way, because we're not there yet. But I am just want to put it out there that he, he, from what I heard, he lived a long time. And specifically, he was... Um, uh, apparently Demetrius and Plutarch, they said he died the same day Alexander the Great died. <laughs> this sounds way, way too much like wishful thinking. And I'm going to go, obviously, next, next line, why? But, obviously, Alexander the Great, you know, he had this legendary conversation with Diogenes, right? And this, by the way, I think this is the most... Not influential, but the most popular or most talked about philosophical um, 
exchange between somebody in history and all of history actually it's the most like if you look it up Diogenes and Alexander I think we can even make this a, a whole new um, video you can see countless paintings and stories and and different perspectives on the on this what this talk you know you know the talk right he he went up to him and he he was in his tub and apparently he was in Corinth I don't know if it was in Corinth but and the, he said what can I do for you? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. what wish can I give you? And he's the most powerful man in the of the whole world at that time. And then Dodge, and he was expecting probably, yeah, give me out of this situation, give me a mansion. He probably, honestly, he was rich enough to give anyone a mansion. If his if his generals ended up beco- um, having their own kingdoms later, you know, his generals or the or the Ptolemies, or one of his generals founded the. Uh, the Ptolemy dynasty in Egypt, right? Cleopatra, she was a uh, Ptolemy. So he's pretty freaking rich. So he could definitely afford Diogenes a, a house. So I think he was pretty dumbfounded when he's like, yeah, get out of my face, right? Because not only was he rude, but he was also not obliging to him. And apparently from the the perspective, the, the account, at least from D.L. Diogenes, he said, if I wasn't, Alexander, I'd like to be Diogenes. And Diogenes said, yeah, I'd like to be myself too. That was the whole encounter. Now, this is a pretty big deal, at least to philosophers, because it's supposed to show that his consistency consistency to his philosophy and how he's not afraid of somebody who's way more powerful or wanting to show respect or bow down to him. Because apparently the whole, all of the other philosophers and statesmen and people were on his ass, on Alexander the Great's, um, writing his coattails, pretty much, um, trying to, it's kind of like celebrity worship culture, right? It's like if you see a celebrity and you just want to go up to him and then treat him like he's some kind of god, and then, you know what I mean? And he's probably bored of this, having people kneel down by his feet, um, telling him, oh, your highness, your mastery, all this, right? He probably got bored of this. And when he, it was probably refreshing that somebody is like, oh, finally, somebody treats me differently. It's interesting. And I, he was interested in Dungeons before because his teacher was Aristotle. So he have, he has, he probably heard of him. He heard of him somewhere. But I don't think we, we should talk about this because I think we can leave it for another episode, perhaps. I think everybody knows about this story anyway. It's pretty pretty prevalent in art at least in art philosophy if you look it up but yeah and then we know that he was an old man by the 113th olympiad which is 328 bc or 325 bc so that's how we know he because the date of that game right shows that he was probably and he went to that game shows that he would have been that certain age you do the math you know Mm -hmm. so he was old when he died, so so he died probably at three twenty BC. But and the, and the way that Diogenes died, by the way, was pretty interesting because well, first of all, people debate that too: did he die in Corinth or did he die in, in Athens? So there's a guy named Antisthenes of Rhodes. He gives circumstantial evidence that he died in the gymnasium of Craneum, and he was holding his breath. Apparently that's how he, he killed himself. He died. He he just decided, okay, I want to die. And he just hold, held his breath and killed himself. That we don't know. Big, 
But the author of this book by D.R. Dudley from 1937, um, he's pretty skeptical of that. And I could see why, because I think when you have too many people, I think he's being cynical because you have the cynics who obviously have an agenda and they want to show him as this legendary figure, right? Maybe he would just, maybe he didn't die that way. Because you, you want him to go off with a blast, right? Kind of like Socrates. Socrates dies by the wine, right? Not the wine, but the the poison, right? Yeah. That he took, he was a martyr. So because of this, because of how he died, they probably wanted to show how legendary he was and he stick to his philosophy and died in that in that way probably just like a poetic death you get what i mean i just slipped on his own poop <laughs> like hey, you know it's funny they said there's other theories of how he died either he slipped on not slipped on his own poop but i can imagine that it's now like <laughs> he um <laughs> just died on the street next to his white jar <laughs> he um the poetic um are they say that he may have died by either getting bitten by a dog with rabies or he got um he ate some octopus and he and it was raw and then it it's made him sick he probably had a very ironic death i'm sure even whatever death he had i mean still he died uh a savage a troll uh, he, <laughs> t- after two thousand years people are still talking about him so i mean hey whether or not you you care about him or his ideas or anything about him, it's he's being talked about two thousand years later, later by the cynics, the Stoics. Well, mostly the Stoics, because most contemporary, I don't know any like thread or anything of cynics. Like, there's no like thread. There is no group for cynics, because it's so like negatively. You're, it's there's such a negative association. So if you were to say that, people would be like, "What? You're a cynic?" You know what I mean? But if you say, "Oh, I'm a Stoic," people are like, "Oh, wow, yeah." You're like one of those. Sounds a bit. You yeah. like you like read like Marcus Aurelius. Like that's pretty pretty deep, man. Meditations. Oh, tell me about it. Meditations. We should make a YouTube channel and talk about meditations. Really? So, t- what does that mean? <laughs> what is that rhetoric? <laughs> but um, yeah. So that's why I can see why the author of this book, and just in general, the logic, is that people want to spin a story, right? People love spending stories, right? So probably they didn't want him to go. If they considered him the the founder of of cynicism, him and Antisthenes, and wrongly they they talk about Antisthenes being the 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 founder. So consistent messaging is important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to make it seem like he had an epic death, like Socrates, because he was Socrates. He was the mad version. He was the mad version of Socrates who peed and pooped and. Went on tangents and he did. He had a lot of influence in the world. I mean, not he had a lot of influence when he died. You know, hundreds of years later. But around the time he died, he didn't have much influence. The only influence he really had was one of his students. And again, his student was Crates, who ended up being the teacher of Zeno, the founder of Stoicism. Of Stoicism. And Stoicism is very important, actually, because Stoicism is. The philosophy chosen of many people and Romans, by the way, that's the reason why I don't want to get into it too much, but that's why cynicism and stoicism are the same side of the same side of the the coin, if you will. Opposite sides of the opposite opposite sides of the same coin. It adapted. The Romans they wanted to adapt cynicism into a way. Well, 
they liked cynicism, but they thought stoicism was better. That's why I think most of the Romans ended up becoming stoics. But there were some Roman cynics. They were famous ones. And they did diverge, and they still existed on these different paths at the same time. But cynicism, as stoicism, is the cynicism that is transferred in a way that is possible for you to live kind of a normal life with society and not live in the ground or in poverty like the cynics. So I guess it's more like Antisthenes, by the way. It's, it's like cynicism follows more Diogenes' path of radical exhibition. exhibition that, I can't even say that word. Radical freedom and kind of anarchic are, and then Antisthenes, I, this is a metaphor, by the way. And then Stoicism is kind of like, imagine if Antisthenes became, if Antisthenes was a philosophy uh, personified. Because he still lived a relatively normal life. I mean, he was just different. You think he was just like a performance artist? But yeah, no, but they did, and this, if you read the, this book, they actually say that he put on spectacles purposely to convert people to cynicism. So there is a certain effect that, I think he was self, he was an idiot. He was smart. He was smart enough to know that if you want to get someone's attention, and if you do, do something ridiculous, uh, he was a showman, essentially. Exi- that's why I say an exhibitionist. You know, if you're, You'll attract people, whether you like it or not, even if you're doing something that's considered repugnant, you know? And that's how they describe him. Witty, charming, spontaneous, um, showmany. And I think there there is something to that, too. At least, as like you said, like a pillar, right? There's some something to t- be taken from that, from his teachings. Not totally everything, in my opinion. I mean, do what you want with your life. Because some people are casual cynics. Some people are like the more modern cynic, which is cynicism. The Germ- That's how the Germans say it. And they put a distinguishing, um, distinguish it. We can talk about that later too. But um, yeah, um, wherever he died, I don't think it was important because Athens was where it was at. That's where it was popping. Remember Leo? Hey man, you want to come to the... The place, man, the hookah bar is popping. Yeah, the Athens war is popping for philosophy, really. So I think it doesn't matter if he died, where he really, for the most part, he probably lived in Athens because he wanted to deface the currency. But yeah, the majority of the stories about him were in Athens anyway. You, that's what it, another, a lot of evidence points toward that he probably didn't live in Corinth. And a lot of the stories about literary dodge and he say, oh, he was in Corinth all the time. Uh, right, he lived there for a sub- substantial time, but I don't think so because a lot of the stories about him, the story, the aphorisms, the events, all these things, really pointed towards it him being in Athens because he references Athenian persons, customs, and localities. Right, he never talks about Spartan localities or people. He's always talking about something that resembles more of the Athenian population. So that's how you can conclude that more, most likely it w- he would, didn't live in Corinth. He lived probably in Athens because, you know, he's referencing, you know, it's like if I'm, you can assume I'm from Texas if I'm referring to, you know, people in cowboy boots and stuff like that, right? You're going to think, okay, this guy's referencing all these stuff from there. And like, 
the fun the Texan hats, right? The ten what do they call it? Ten liter jug hats or whatever? Oh, I I'm I think that's what they yeah, the cowboy hats, right? If you say that, yeah, and then you're thinking Texas, right? So he was referencing these things that obviously were Athenian, not Spartan, not Corinthian, not Theban Theban. I don't even know what the, how you pronounce that actually. Theban. I didn't find a ten liter jug hat. Whatever, the cowboy hat. I don't know. I think there's an actual term for it. Whatever. He, that's how you can assume it was probably Athens because it's referencing stuff that is Athenian. Yeah, right? It doesn't really reference anything actually about Sparta, actually. So that's why maybe he didn't really live in Sparta either. Or maybe he visited one time. Who knows? But I'm just saying, I'm just bringing this up because, yeah, people make it seem like he was in Corinth all the time. And according to legends, Diogenes said to a, when he died, apparently he wanted his, this is how we, I want to end it, by the way. Whether or not it's true, I don't know. Ben Trovato, right? It, it's plausible, but a story. According to legend, Diogenes said when he died to throw his body outside the city walls for the animals to feed on him. Throw him in the trash. What if they just... They buried him. <laughs> he got, he's just his angry ghost. Don't bury me. But but it's funny because you know there is somebody who was a Roman geographer. I think we might have yeah yeah Paul Pausanias Pausanias. He was a Greek traveler and geographer, and he said according to him, and and by the way this is the dude. Trust me. This that's the ev- the evidence that some Corinthians. They they um they carved a dog onto a a, a certain um, tomb. Uh, apparently, he said that that's where Diogenes was buried, according to Pausanias. So that's the evidence that maybe he was buried. Maybe he had the dog carved on him on his tombstone, hmm. right? Because you know he was called the dog by Aristotle. They know where this place is today. It's in Corinth. But exact location. Oh, I don't know. But we could research it. That'd be interesting. If we wanted, we did a vlog, the Juan Jarstenic vlog, and we just go there. Hey, I found it. Pay, pay your specs. How do you pay your specs to Diogenes? Just piss the on, cynic way. Piss on his grave, right? <laughs> <laughs> you um, maybe throw a flower on it. No, that's, that's the wrong way. It gotta, depends what's. In, you gotta take a dump and smear it on <laughs> the walls. <laughs> He probably would hate that because he wanted to be thrown for that reason, probably. So that wouldn't happen. So no one like you would try this. Like one to two thousand years. Like, I do- did too much peeing and pooping on people. I don't want people to do that on my grave. <laughs> Just throw me out to the dogs. <laughs> Get it over. To the the wolves. But yeah, um, that's where I'm gonna end it. Do you have any any f- post discussion? Um. Nothing that will not go off on a, a tangent at the moment. We, so. we could have we went on a lot of tangents. We did, actually, we went on a, like probably too many. So I don't want to. Do yeah, it. I mean, this was two hours. We were supposed to do this in forty-five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, you know what? Uh, for I think for people who actually want to learn about cynicism, I think it's fine because people who there's not much. There's a lot of stuff about introductionary cynicism, but there isn't much about like more deeper cynicism about the actual teachings about all the people who were important figures about the effect on it on history on satire you know 
I don't want to be a cynicism channel, right? Because funny, we funny enough. I think we're the really the the devil's advocate channel, if anything, right? That was what we originally want. We're gonna be called, right? The devil, the slide, the the Diablo, Diablo's advocates. Diablo's advocate. Yeah. We're gonna be Diablo's advocates. So I think we should keep that in mind. But I think, yeah, this is a definitely a pillar. There's a lot to be learned, and I wish it. I could have learned more about cynicism through more through videos. It would have been easier. But no, I had to actually learn some Greek and go read these books from the 1930s, which were pretty wordy and a little bit interesting to write uh, read. The, yeah, uh, I can imagine it's not. It's pretty dry read. Ben Trovato. Yeah, it was very dry read. Very, inter- but it's funny enough. I have all these words I learned in Greek. I learned it's like the prince. Oh, the prince is very dry. Right? Did you finish the prince? I did, and then I wanted to reread it, and because uh, because it's like so dry, it's hard to kind of absorb it. It's not memorable. Yeah, because most modern so books like they're kind of all this, and I can read through it just fine. But I'm like, it's harder to make the connections. Yeah, how dry it is. So you're just like, okay, there's I'll nothing, reread it. There's nothing like there's no enjoyable parts really. Yeah, it's just written like. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean, but by the way, Machiavelli is very important because I I don't know. I heard that he was he was inspired by cynicism, but the part where the bad parts obviously there's the bad parts where Diogenes taught about distrusting people, right, and that almost kind of leads to myth misanthropy. I think that's what it's called. Have you heard of misanthropy? It's misanthropy. Misanthrop- I think that's misanthrop- the, the, misanthropy or misanthropy. I don't know how to. Yeah, but yeah, misanthropy? that misanthropy. I think it is mis- misanthropy. Misanthropy. I know because misanthrope. Yeah, misanthrope is the one that that hates humanity. But misanthropy sounds weird. I don't know if so it's, I like, think it's I don't know what's the correct not the word for that, but I think he was. From what I from what, I, what I've been reading, a lot of people put think that the the di- divergence of cynicism. Into the modern version was Machiavelli. Then the older, ver- that's why the Germans, they have two, they have kinicism as the old version, because that's how you really pronounce it in Greek. You don't pronounce it cynicism, it's kinicism, because it's kunikos, right? Dog. That's what, it's, what the etymology means. Then cynicism is the German word of modern cynicism. At least in philosophy, that's how they do it. And then these books, that's how they, they talked about it. Z as in modern cynic, and then K as in old cynic. So instead of saying old or new, you say kinic or cynic. I wish we had that in English. Yeah, I mean, just pronounce it with a K, really. It's not that hard. But most people would just think you're stupid. But that's, why, explain you, it. that's why you don't write it in C, you write it in K. You just put K, Y, you know? I think they'd be like... You're a hipster? That's not how you spell it, you Dummy. Well, <laughs> You'd be like, no, well, but this is what it, you have to explain it. Yeah. That's the problem. You have to because there's no differentiation right now in the words. Well really in English it's the same word. We'll test it out. We'll test it out one day. See if it if it catches on. Maybe people will be like, Hey, he made it cool. I see what you did there. You're right. <laughs> no, but Maybe. yeah. I mean no, at least in the academic sense, that's how people do it. That's how that when we are in the philosophy books, especially in the German. I I've been thinking of doing it in German, reading all these German books, but it's just like yeah, they look very very dry because most of the books 
that about cynicism, at least the most important ones that are very, very in-depth and talk about all these concepts and history and archaeological evidence and have all these sources, they tend to be... I, even the ones in German, they have it, all these words are in Greek. They don't actually put, like, for example, like... But they don't translate it. No, they don't. They just have the letters. So it's sophos for wisdom. And when we're talking about uh, logic, it's logos. And when we talk about norms, it's no, nomos. So it's like... Interesting. I think they do it out of tradition, really. It's tradition. Maybe the problem with that, it makes it hard for people to get into it now. Uh, yeah. And there is a version, at least for the D, the DR Dudley, that has all the Greek terms in English, which is more accessible to people. You just put them both and just put it in parentheses. Yeah, that's what, what they, yeah, that's what they did in some, at least for the, the most modern cynicism book that's pretty um, influential, in my opinion. It's got uh, well recept recepted by the com philosophy community is the one by, uh, I don't know how to pronounce her name. It's French, but it's Goulet, Marie, Marie Goulet. How is it spelled? It's Marie Odile Goulet Cazé. Marie what? Odile? Odi Odile Goulet. Like go G O U L E T. Goulet. Goulet, right? Mm -hmm. and, then the, and then Cazé. Yeah, K A Z A. Z E. Cazé. So that book, it's all. They still have the Greek terms and the letters, but they. She's still alive. Yeah, so I think we could talk to her about it. Apparently, she said that cynicism is still alive. They have a conference in France, at least, for this. Let us talk about the cynicism. They probably they pro so the thing about modern cynicism is I probably put it's probably really stoicism. Really, I, I doubt they talk about cynicism and Christian Christianity in in antiquity. Yeah, so there's a lot. There is a lot of books for cynicism. Jesus, an expensive book. Yeah, no, they're all textbooks. Yeah, really. The one by Goulet. The or one. This is a textbook. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a textbook actually. That makes sense if it's that expensive. It's, it's just like a. I thought it was. Just um. Well, not a textbook. It, yeah, but um. D.R. Dudley, his book is free online, actually. If you go on it, you can find it. On Amazon, she doesn't have any customer reviews. What? <laughs> yeah, but if you editorial go editorial reviews. But if you go on Goodreads, Goodreads, it's a, I think she, you, you have a lot more. At least for D.R. Dudley's book, actually, was not bad. It was dry, but it was, at least if you want to know about the history of cynicism, it's very good, very good at it. Showing the evidence, citing his sources. It's very, um, that's the thing though. There should be, it'd be, that'd be cool if there was an introductory book about the cynic concepts. Cause you know, it's not just about Diogenes really. It's about, there are many people in cynicism. Oh, this is saying that, oh, well, she argues that, uh, that Jesus and his disciples did not know cynics. Wow, yeah. So some people agree, some people don't. Because, for example, there's there are some Cambridge scholars who agree that, yeah, they're, Jesus, uh, his disciples knew cynics. Because a lot of, the, obviously, that during that time, right, um, uh, a lot of it has to do with them seeing it from the, the perspective of the Roman Empire. 
of how a lot of these cynics, they tended to not be in Rome because, you know, Romans kind of saw them negatively, at least the majority of them, and they were wandering on other at other parts of the Roman Empire, which, by the way, Judea was part of the Roman Empire at that time. Obviously, everybody knows that. So they were that's the evidence that they connected to, that they were maybe inspired by them because they saw them on the streets. Obviously, they would, it would, they would be very noticeable. You know, I, th- I think we could talk about this later one day, actually. We should uh, end it here. But definitely in the next episode, I think we should talk about Crates and Zeno. So that's more about sto- Stoicism. After that, maybe we can talk about... Maybe the arc will be close to finishing. Maybe a few more episodes, five or six. And then we can do maybe Watch Dogs. That, because that... But I think it's important to talk about cynicism, really, because if you want to know about the philosophical um, inception of why we are kind of not against big tech, but we're we're cynical of them in the modern sense, and we want to pick apart everything that they're doing wrong. It does help that they know our, our thought process because we are seeing it from this philosophical standpoint of kind of the watchdogs. There needs to be a, kind of a nonpartisan watchdogs because, you know, that's how Diogenes saw himself as, that he's going to change people and ha- make them good and not go through his pain. I know it's probably misguided, but you know how people are, right? That's how he would do it. That's why, yeah, eventually I think we can talk about that once we finish this arc. All right, so let's end it now, actually. You ready? Any other um, finishing words? Just thinking about future episodes, how to connect things. That's all. Yep. All right. Should we say bye to the... Should we say bye to them? That's not the way of the cynic. is back in Parabellum. <laughs>